Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Highliner Foods Incorporated conference call for the results of the fourth quarter of 2020. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Following management's prepared remarks, we will conduct a question and answer session. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. If anyone has any difficulties hearing the conference, please press star followed by zero for operator assistance at any time. This conference call is being recorded today, Wednesday, February 24th, 2021 at 2 p.m. Eastern time for replay purposes. I would now like to turn the call over to Charlene Milner, Vice President of Finance for Highliner Foods. Ms. Milner, please go ahead. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining the Highliner Foods conference call today to discuss our financial results for the fourth quarter of 2020. On the call from Highlander Foods are Rod Heppenstahl, President and Chief Executive Officer from our office in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and Paul Jewer, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer from our office in Halifax, Nova Scotia. In a moment, I'll pass the call over to Rod for some remarks on our performance in the fourth quarter and the ongoing impact of COVID-19 on our business before handing over to Paul, who will review the financial performance for the fourth quarter. Rod will then make some final remarks before opening the call up for questions. I would like to remind listeners that we use certain non-IFRS measures and ratios when discussing our financial results, as we believe these are useful in assessing the company's financial performance. These measures are fully described and reconciled to IFRS measures in our MDNA. Listeners are also reminded that certain statements made on today's call may be forward-looking statements that are subject to risks and uncertainties. Management may use forward-looking statements when discussing the company's strategy and business in the future. Actual operating or results could differ materially from anticipated in these forward-looking statements. Highliner Foods includes a thorough discussion of the risk factors that can cause its anticipated outcomes to differ from actual outcomes in its publicly available disclosure documents, particularly in its annual report and annual information form. Please note that Highliner Foods is under no obligation to update any forward-looking statements discussed today. Earlier today, Highliner Foods reported its financial results for the fourth quarter ended January 2nd, 2021. That news release, along with the company's MDNA and audited consolidated financial statements for fiscal 2020, have been filed on CDAR and can also be found in the investor section of the Highliner Foods website. It's our new future, please visit the company's website. Lastly, please note that the company reports its financial results in U.S. dollars, and therefore the results today are also stated in U.S. dollars, unless otherwise noted. Highliner Foods common shares trade on the Toronto Stock Exchange and are quoted in Canadian dollars. I will now turn the call over to Rod for his opening remarks. Thank you, Charlene, and good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for joining us today to discuss our financial results for the fourth quarter of 2020. I'm pleased to report that the fourth quarter was another quarter of improved financial performance for Highliner Foods and provided a very strong finish to our fiscal year. In particular, 
we are proud to have met our goal of delivering year-over-year adjusted EBITDA growth of $8.2 million, or 10.3% after normalizing the fiscal 2019 adjusted EBITDA results for the $5.5 million recovery received from the ingredient supplier in 2019. We delivered this strong adjusted EBITDA growth while we prioritized the health and safety of our employees, delivered on our retail and food service customers' rapidly changing expectations, and executed on our strategy and drove continuous improvement in our business. We demonstrated the resilience of a business and, frankly, how well we can perform under pressure and rise to the challenge. In the past year, our people stepped up, showed us that we have the best in the business at Highliner Foods. We are incredibly grateful for their focus and dedication. Based on our financial performance in the fourth quarter, demand for our frozen seafood in our retail business continues to be very strong in both Canada and the U.S. We are driving market growth and growing volume. We continue to deliver excellent product fill rates recognized by our customers, and we are successfully capitalizing on consumers' desire to recreate restaurant seafood experiences at home and have affordable, nutritious protein on hand for delicious meals which is helping us to drive sales growth of our overall more profitable branded value-added products. Our food service business is holding up well, considering the extremely challenging circumstances in the industry. We are focused on supporting our operators with ready-to-prepare frozen products. We believe that the opportunity for suppliers who support restaurants when restrictions are lifted will be significant. We believe there is pent-up demand to enjoy seafood in restaurants, and we are acting now to ensure that we are first in line to capitalize on this rebound. The strength and resiliency of our supply chain continues to make a significant impact on our performance. Reliability of our supply chain continues to be the top priority for retail retail food service customers alike, and we continue to deliver excellent customer service levels. From a financial perspective, We have managed our working capital effectively and significantly improved our cash flow. We reduced our debt and improved our leverage ratio, achieving our long-term target of three times. And we are heading into fiscal 2021 with a strong balance sheet. It's a great springboard for the year and one that we intend to build on in the months ahead through further efficiency gains, careful inventory management, supply chain excellence, and consumer engagement. I will be back shortly to share some of our exciting plans to invest in our business and position Highlander Foods to become the leader in branded, value-added seafood across North America and to deliver a third consecutive year of adjusted EBITDA growth. But first, I will hand the call over to Paul to walk us through our financial performance for the fourth quarter. Paul, over to you. Thank you, Rod, and good afternoon, everyone. Please note that all comparisons provided during my financial review of the fourth quarter of 2020 are relative to the fourth quarter of 2019, unless otherwise noted. Sales volume decreased in the fourth quarter by 100,000 pounds to 59.6 million pounds. In our food service businesses, sales volume continues to be lower due to the impact of COVID-19 on our food service customers. In our retail business, sales volume continued to be higher due to the increased demand related to COVID-19 partially offset by lost business in the fourth quarter of fiscal 2019 that continued to impact volume year over year. The decline in sales volume was partially offset by the additional week in the fourth quarter of fiscal 2020, new business and new product sales. Sales in U.S. dollars decreased in the fourth quarter by $23.2 million 
to $198.4 million due to lower volume already discussed, as well as a change in sales mix. Gross profit decreased in the fourth quarter by $1 million to $43.5 million. However, gross profit as a percentage of sales increased by 180 basis points to 21.9% compared to 20.1%. Gross profit reflects the lower sales volume previously discussed, partially offset by favorable changes in product mix, leading to the improved gross profit percentage as a percentage of sales. Adjusted EBITDA increased in the fourth quarter by $2.4 million to $21.2 million. And adjusted EBITDA as a percentage of sales increased by 220 basis points to 10.7% compared to 8.5%. The increase in adjusted EBITDA reflects a decrease in net SG&A expenses, partially offset by the decrease in gross profit discussed previously. Reported net income increased in the fourth quarter by $10.4 million to $7.4 million, and diluted earnings per share increased by $0.30 to $0.21. The increase in net income reflects the increase in adjusted EBITDA discussed previously, a decrease in business acquisition, integration, and other expense, and a decrease in finance costs, primarily due to the recognition in the fourth quarter of 2019 of a loss on the modification of debt related to the debt refinancing completed in October 2019. This was partially offset by an increase in share-based compensation expense and an increase in income tax expense. Excluding the impact of certain non-routine or non-cash expenses, which are explained in our MD&A, adjusted net income in the fourth quarter of 2020 increased by $4.6 million, or 80.7%, to $10.3 million, compared to $5.7 million in 2019, and correspondingly adjusted diluted earnings per share increased by $0.12 to $0.29. Turning now to cash flows from operations and the balance sheet, net cash flows provided by operating activities in the fourth quarter of 2020 increased by $46.4 million, to an inflow of $22.3 million compared to an outflow of $24.1 million in the same period in 2019, primarily reflecting favorable changes in net non-cash working capital and higher cash flow from operations, partially offset by higher income taxes paid. The favorable changes in net non-cash working capital are, are the result of favorable changes in accounts receivable, inventories, and accounts payable and accrued liabilities. Net debt at the end of 2021 decreased by $78.6 million to $268 million, compared to $346.6 million at the end of fiscal 2019, reflecting repayments of long-term debt during fiscal 2020, a decrease in current bank loans, and a higher cash-on-hand balance. This was partially offset by higher lease liabilities in 2020 as compared to 2019. Net debt to adjusted EBITDA was three times at January 2, 2021, compared to 3.3 times at September 26, 2020, and at 4.1 times at the end of fiscal 2019. 
In the absence of any major acquisitions or unplanned capital expenditures in 2021, we expect this ratio will further improve by the end of fiscal 2021. We remain confident in our liquidity position as a result of prudent cash management and the early refinancing of our debt in Q4 2019. We do not have any impending debt maturities and will continue to utilize our $150 million working capital credit facility if required. The company currently has no borrowings on this facility. That concludes my financial review, and I will now turn the call back over to Rod for some final remarks before opening the call to questions. Thank you, Paul. Many of you on the line today have followed Highlander Foods for some time. You've been with us on this incredible journey over the past three years as we have integrated our Canadian and U.S. businesses into one HLF, optimized our supply chain to drive significant efficiency gains, focused our product portfolio on higher margin products, launched industry-leading innovation, new products, and created a new seafood snacking category, increased gross profit as a percentage of sales by 360 basis points to 21.5%, in fiscal 2020 compared to fiscal 2018, increased adjusted EBITDA as a percentage of sales by 460 basis points to 10.6% in fiscal 2020 compared to fiscal 2018, and strengthened our balance sheet such that we can navigate through COVID-19 pandemic and invest in our business while improving shareholder returns. I'm confident that in the coming quarters, I'll be able to update you on the following. Our progress to further leverage our entire portfolio to grow our higher margin branded value-added business. The results and traction from significant incremental investments in consumer marketing that we believe will continue to deepen our relationship with our consumers, help penetrate and disrupt the U.S. frozen seafood category, and capture the repeat business from the half a million new customers that have entered the frozen seafood category in the past year. Further penetration of our new branded value-added products, as well as new product innovations in the pipeline that are ready to go. Success supporting our food service customers through the recovery who are seeking the reliability of supply and on-trend value-added products. Ongoing improvements across the business, driving efficiencies and an overall elevated work environment through our commitment to foster a high-performance, purpose-driven culture. An enhanced and involved evolved approach to employee, environmental, social, and governance initiatives that build on our strong history and leadership in sustainability, and ultimately our progress towards becoming the leader in branded value-added seafood in North America. The opportunity to grow Highlighter Foods is significant and one we are ready to pursue growth in a much more strategic and aggressive manner than in recent history. In 2021, we will support this with approximately $20 million of capital investment in our business that will go towards our plants and supporting technology. We also intend to increase our investment in marketing and professional development to further cultivate a culture of high performance at Highliner Foods. We will make this investment in our business with the confidence that we have the execution track record, supply chain capacity, and balance sheet to support further efficiencies and accelerated growth. Overall, despite significant macroeconomic health and personal challenges facing us all in 2020-21, we have a sense of optimism at Highlander Foods. Our employee health, safety, and wellness remains our top priority in the year ahead as we invest in our business, elevate our culture, and accelerate growth 
and value creation for our shareholders. In the words of our new purpose statement that you will hear much more about in the months to come, Highlander Foods is reimagining seafood to nourish life, and I'm confident that it will have a positive impact on all of our stakeholders. As consumers increasingly search for healthy, versatile proteins that can nourish their lives, our products at a range of price points not only deliver but showcase the potential to enjoy seafood at home. We intend to reimagine seafood for the market. We have already demonstrated our capacity to deliver on this purpose, especially by conducting the essential work of ensuring a steady supply of frozen seafood to nourish families across North America during the pandemic. In 2021, with the heavy lifting to strengthen the foundation of our business behind us, we are all well positioned to go to market more aggressively, supported by significant investments in marketing, technology, and our people. Overall, I am confident that we will be able to advance our strategy to grow revenue supported by continued adjusted EBITDA gains in fiscal 2021. With that, I'll hand the call over to the operator for a brief question and answer period. I look forward to your questions. Operator, please start the Q&A. Ladies and gentlemen, to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for just a moment and pile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from George Dumet with Scotiabank. Your line is open. Hi, George. Yeah. Hi, guys. Good afternoon. Um, I'm not sure I might have missed this, um, Paul, but how much does the volume of the extra week uh, contribute to? It's a, a fairly insignificant number, um, George. I'll have to get back to you with the exact number, but um, it wasn't. Um, it, it, it was less than less than one percent. Okay. Thank you. Um, uh, it looks like our key species here, like haddock, cod, shrimp, um, are, are down materially um, and continue to be down for Q1 in terms of pricing. Uh, to what extent has that uh, ultimately helped with volumes, and do you expect that to continue? Um, maybe a two-parter there, and, and would you expect that inflation to come back to those specific species uh, once the food, uh, food service channel opens back up again? Yeah, I don't think at this stage, uh, George, the pricing has helped much in the way of uh, volumes because volumes continue to be impacted from the COVID um, uh, impact in food service in particular. Um, it has uh, certainly helped uh, in terms of as, as we manage uh, costs in our business uh, and has allowed us to uh, continue to uh, Price favorably uh, in the market. Um, in terms of as it recovers, um, as demand uh, picks up, we would expect to see uh, potentially some increase uh, in uh, prices. I mean, it is a commodity business, to your point, and uh, is driven by demand and supply. Uh, but nothing significant that we're uh, identifying at this stage. So uh, we, we believe we're fortunate to continue to uh, benefit from a favorable raw material pricing environment overall. Yeah, that's helpful. Thanks, Paul. And um, maybe once the normalization of inflation comes in, just kind of wondering how confident you are that we can actually grow volumes in fiscal 21. And, and if we were to, maybe can you talk a little bit about cadence? Is that just a function, purely a function of when food service reopens? Yeah, George, maybe I'll take that. Um, you know, we've uh, outlined, uh, quite frankly, in Q1 of 2020, we were on a, a path, uh, unfortunately, with COVID hitting the last two weeks of the quarter, to certainly grow uh, overall volume on a year-over-year -year basis for the quarter. So we feel very confident on not only our sales execution, but also on the, uh, the, the new innovation we've brought to marketplace, 
uh, and the list goes on and on. There is no question that food service recovery, uh, given the, the scope it, it, uh, it has in our business, will have an impact. But uh, overall, uh, we have normalized our business as it relates to lost business. We haven't had significant losses. So we feel very confident about our ability to execute um, through the normal course of business and, quite frankly, uh, maintain our position uh, as consumers shift back from retail to food service. I think our, our retail execution has been uh, stellar as well, and we continue to add new customers, uh, which is great news from a, a new platform to sell through, but also we continue to c penetrate existing customers with distribution gains as well as new product sell-ins. Okay, and just one last one, uh, if I may, maybe for Paul. I think the last conference call, you guys um, you guys were calling out a pretty material potential material seasonal working capital drag in the quarter. Um, we didn't see that at all. We actually saw the other thing, a pretty big reversal. So just wondering what happened there. Is it different in terms of land planning this time around? And maybe how should we think of working capital uh, for fiscal, fiscal 21? Yeah, no, good question, George. I think it, we're very pleased with our working capital performance uh, in 2020, uh, continuing on the backs of a good performance in 2019. I think what we've seen in the business as there has been a decline in some volume, uh, particularly in our commodity business, uh, we have been able uh, to um, support our business with less inventory, uh, which has been uh, beneficial, uh, while maintaining very, very high service levels we're, that we're very proud of. Um, we also have been very pleased with how uh, receivables uh, collections uh, have gone. Uh, and again, because of the sales decline, have less in, invested in terms of receivables um, in the business in the current environment. I don't expect to see that continue at the same pace as it did uh, in terms of improvement in 2019 and 2020, because as we do see some of that uh, commodity business come back, we will need, obviously, inventory and receivables to, uh, to support it. Uh, but it, it was certainly beneficial to uh, cash flow and debt reduction uh, initiatives in 2020. All right. Thanks for your answers. Good luck. Your next question comes from Kyle McPhee from Cormark Securities. Your line is open. Hey, Kyle. Uh, hi. Um, just on the uh, the revenue line, that, that change year over year, can you help us understand the, the moving parts in there a little bit better? You know, as a, as a starting point, I'm specifically interested in just maybe quantify the tailwind you saw on retail channel from COVID uh, and, and the headwind you saw in the food service channel. Yeah, so I think uh, if, if you go back earlier in the year, Kyle, uh, you know, the extremes would have been a food service decline of, you know, 70% and retail boost of, you know, 60 or 70%. Um, in the, as we came towards the end of the year, the ex, there was nowhere near that extreme. Uh, so you should think of, you know, a, a, a relatively small uh, food service decline, particularly in uh, November and December. We continued to see an improving trend in food service uh, really uh, throughout the, the, the 2020 year uh, post-COVID. Um, and in terms of uh, retail, uh, while up, um, uh, certainly not up to the, the, the 50 or 60 percent level, but up in uh, still double-digit growth over the prior year, um, and our focus really is now taking advantage of that increased traffic in the retail category uh, and continuing with strong sales momentum there as we look forward to the recovery in food service. Got it. Okay, and, and taking together those moving parts, would it still be a, a net negative based on the weights of your channels? 
It, it was, yeah. I mean, our in, in total, our uh, our volume was down, you know, 100,000 pounds. Uh, it would have been down a bit more than that, as I mentioned, because of the if you exclude the 53rd week, uh, that would have been driven by a, a a larger decline in food service than the benefit in retail. But that's because our food service business is larger than our retail business. Yeah, okay. And then just on, on the new products you've been selling into retail and food service, um, the last few quarters you quantified that at about, you know, standalone isolated, it's about 2% year-over-year growth. Is that still about the same impact from this pocket of, of new growth products, or has it been shrinking or, or hopefully accelerating? Yeah, uh, no, no, it's uh, – go ahead, Russ. Okay. No, I would. Yeah, no, it's so we're remote location, so I apologize. No, our, our retail uh, performance has uh, has remained consistent, even given um, the challenges associated with selling in new products. As customers really focused on a core assortment um, and tried to certainly stabilize their own inventories, so we saw a very consistent two uh, percent growth, and we certainly think that's a great platform to build off of now that uh, that um, that retailers are accepting of new products. And I mentioned earlier we. We secured uh, a, a few new customers in the States, one in Canada, as well as additional listings at existing customers. So uh, we expect that trend to, to uh, tick up. Got it. Okay. And then the, my last question on, on the moving parts on the top line, that, that contract elimination from last year that's still been showing in the year-over-year trend, is that now fully lapsed? So we're not going to see it going forward? Really, the only moving parts left is, is COVID and these new growth pockets? Yeah, it has primarily lapsed at this stage. There was less than a million pounds related to lost business in the uh, uh, fourth quarter, um, and we expect it to be uh, lower than that in the uh, in the first quarter. Uh, and uh, obviously, it was higher than that in uh, in the at, at the start of the last year. Got it. Okay. Okay, that's it for me. Thanks for the color, guys. Thanks, Scott. Your next question comes from Saba Khan with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Okay, thanks and good afternoon. Um, just want to get a little bit of color on that 500,000 additional customers that you commented on. Um, just, I guess, how does that compare to U.S. versus Canada? And second, you know, how's that number trended as we progress from you know Q2 to Q4? You know, has it just have you seen any variation with how the pandemic is trending and anything? Maybe you're noticing the repetitive nature of those customers, or the new ones you're seeing quarter to quarter. Yeah, I would say, Asabit, um, number one, the the, the 500,000 is the the latest data that we had that we uh, we had paid for to secure. So my assumption um, would be that that number is actually north of that as we continue to, uh, you know, uh, understand and read about the uh, the retail categories uh, continuing to be on fire, to name to quote a few. Um, that, that number was specifically a U.S. number, but what we have seen, even in our own portfolio in Canada, is the frequency of trips uh, to secure seafood, i.e. Highliner product, um, has increased from our historical four times a year, um, you know, upwards to four, four plus times a year. So we're seeing uh, further consumer penetration in the category, new consumers coming in, um, and the frequency of, uh, of purchase uh, increasing as well. Um, all areas that we intend on um, uh, retaining through uh, our investment marketing, uh, digital presence, and the list, and, and quite frankly, ex- continued uh, innovation. So we feel real good about the health of the uh, the retail business category overall as well. All right, thanks for that. And then, and in terms of the restaurant or the food service market, you indicated that the institutional side held up. I'm just curious how you've seen the uh, 
I guess, the restaurant side evolve? Um, are there any channels within the restaurant side, any customers where maybe performance has been more resilient or has there been any particular channel that's been a bit more of a drag? And how is that trending as, you know, have you seen a progress or have you seen progress as the vaccine rollouts continue? Yeah, I, I'm certainly optimistic about the vaccine rollout and certainly the impact that will have uh, regarding uh, restrictions being lifted. If I have to uh, suggest an area where we may have been um, impacted uh, a bit more than other segments, it would be in the uh, the K through 12 segment for us, the, the child nutrition. As we as we know, there's a lot more remote learning these days uh, and so on. But what our team has done an excellent job of is navigating to other segments. You've heard me talk about revised sales execution over the last couple of years and really understanding um, where we have uh, higher index versus low, lower index. So our virtual selling um, uh, approaches have driven new uh, customers into the food service portfolio as well. And not to mention our position with the leading national broadline distributors throughout North America who are taking market share in today's environment um, has been a significant benefit to us as well. And then just on the retail side, just to follow up on my earlier question, you know, this additional customer base that's come into the, the space, I guess, are you noticing, is it more because you know, there's more meals at home? Is it easy to cook because kids are at home? What are you hearing from your customer base? And I'm just trying to understand, you know, kind of the longevity of the type of customer that you have. And also, if you can maybe change your product portfolio going forward or add things to it to meet this uh, customer, the needs of this customer base. Yeah, I would say the beautiful thing about what's happening with the consumer, number one, is they're getting more comfortable um, preparing seafood at home, which was at one time um, significantly intimidating for some. But as we've talked about in previous quarters, the number two item that, re that consumers miss when eating uh, out in restaurants is seafood. So we're seeing that supplemented now by, by those consumers who would normally have had um, uh, seafood in, in a restaurant uh, going to the frozen aisle to look for products uh, up and down the spectrum that Highliner makes. So one of the things that uh, I'm really pleased about is our portfolio and the reach of products in the marketplace, all from all the way from value up to our premium products. So our opportunity to capture uh, families with young children and a value proposition from a fish stick, fish stick item um, and such, all the way through to uh, premium products like our uh, sea cuisine and, and other great uh, easy to prepare products like our uh, pan seared, hits all demographics uh, across the, uh, the spectrum. So I think we're well positioned regardless if it's uh, certainly Gen Zers all the way uh, through to baby boomers and so on. Okay, and then you know, the commentary around the CapEx deployment next year around $20 million. That seems to be more in the manufacturing footprint. Can you talk about maybe some of the specifics around what exactly it is that you're looking to invest in? Is it maybe catch up after the balance sheet is not in good shape? And kind of what's the thought process behind uh, where you're directing that investment uh, looking ahead? Yeah, sure, Saba. So there is, there is some uh, increased maintenance capex uh, expense to your point to catch up for uh, you know 2019 where we were focused on improving the balance sheet to your point, uh, but also in 2020 where projects got impacted by by COVID. So uh, uh, I would say most of the increase is in that area. However, we have been pleased that we are able to identify some profit improvement projects uh, that are included in that number uh, for 2020 uh, that improve um, the efficiency of our operations and provide us with additional capacity to support 
some of the products that Rod referred to that are moving particularly uh, well uh, in, um, in retail uh, as we've seen that increased uh, consumption. Uh, so it really is across the board, you know, uh, maintenance catch up, uh, profit improvement, uh, and, um, and expansion of capacity to, uh, to meet the growing demand. Okay, and then just last one for me, uh, I guess with the commentary earlier around the leverage decreasing further, and I guess the, you know, what should investors expect on the capital allocation front? Is it really just primarily focused on dividends? You know, should we think about putting that additional cash flow to use as the world normalizes your operations kind of see a bit of a tailwind from normalization? Yeah, sure. No, I mean, at this point, uh, we will uh, certainly uh, continue to support the dividend. As you know, we increased that uh, not too long ago again, which was, uh, which was good. And we'll, we'll look at opportunities to do that going forward as we continue to improve our uh, earnings performance. We've identified the increase in CapEx. Uh, we believe that there are opportunities to continue to invest in our business to improve our profitability and support our growth. Um, and uh, we're in a much better position today to look at whatever strategic opportunities may come along in addition to that. Uh, and so we'll, uh, we'll keep our eyes uh, open uh, for those. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, it, uh, it will be uh, supporting our business, uh, supporting the dividend, um, and uh, continuing to reduce debt as, uh, as we generate that excess cash flow that we've been successful at uh, generating. Okay, thanks very much. As a reminder to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from Jonathan Lemmers, VMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Good afternoon. Hi, Jonathan. On the 20 million CapEx plan for 2021, uh, you mentioned that's for investments in plant and supporting technology. Could you expand on, on these? Are those to create capacity for existing products that are moving well, or um, are they to support new products? Uh, so it's a, it's a little bit of both. So uh, there is some investment to support, uh, as an example, the packing end of some lines to support uh, particular products that are, uh, that are moving well. Um, but it's also to improve the efficiency of you know, our plants across the board uh, to support our entire uh, product lineup. Uh, and while it is primarily uh, focused on plant, uh, I do want to highlight that some of it is actually in, in the area of uh, technology to continue to support our business, uh, particularly as we you know, continue to uh, deal with the new way of working uh, as, we, uh, as we look forward in supporting collaboration across our enterprise. Um, so it's, um, it's a number of areas where we've seen the, uh, the opportunity to either improve efficiency or, uh, or support growth. Okay, thanks. And uh, the investments in OPEX that are being made this year, do uh, you expect a portion of those to have an impact on sales this year? And how significant would, uh, should we be thinking about those as being from a consolidated perspective? Uh, so just make sure they, the investments that we're making in, um, in OPEX, uh, so you're thinking of investments in operating expenses like marketing or... Yeah, I'm sorry. So, uh, Rod mentioned investments in marketing spend and also investments in professional development programs. Right. Yeah. So, 
certainly on the marketing spend piece, uh, we would expect to see a, a positive impact in, uh, in sales uh, momentum, uh, particularly as we move out of COVID uh, and move towards the, uh, the back half uh, of the year. Um, that's what, you know, those marketing investments are designed to, to generate a return on investment. Uh, and we believe, as Rod mentioned, we can capitalize on the increased focus on and consumption in our category uh, and continue to bring attention to the great products that we offer there. And are those in retail or food service? Uh, it, it is, I, I would say, across both, food, across both channels. Uh, in retail, uh, it's about uh, continuing to uh, communicate to those consumers, like we say, that are new, that are new to the category. Uh, in food service, it's continuing to communicate, particularly to operators, how our products can help them in managing in this challenging new environment that they face uh, as they recover from COVID in terms of uh, staffing, operating costs, et cetera. Thanks. So as we think about the EBITDA guidance that was provided for improvement over 2021, um, like just to kind of walk through everything, it sounds like sales and gross profit dollars could be down modestly because of the challenges uh, for the food service industry, you know, in the first half. OPEX will be down more following the actions that have been taken through 2020. Um, and, you know, some potential for gross profit dollars to be up in the second half with the effect that EBITDA overall will be up for the year. Is that kind of the right way to think about it at a high level? Yeah, I think I think that uh, that's the right way to think about it uh, in terms of your comments on the first half of the year, because clearly there will be some COVID impact. Although that is, I would say, more acute in our first quarter, where uh, we didn't have the COVID impact in 2020, uh, and obviously do have some COVID impact in 2021. By the time we move into the second quarter, it's COVID impact lapping COVID impact, and you know the COVID impact was pretty significant in April and May in particular. Um, so I'm optimistic uh, that we can uh, move towards both top line and bottom line growth um, as we uh, as we start to you know get into even before the first half uh, of the year, um, and uh, that that will be our focus as we go forward. Uh, we believe we can continue to improve the profitability of the business, but uh, we also now are in a much better position to support uh, growth in the top line. Thanks. So, Paul, just for housekeeping, would you happen to have the uh, value-add, non-value-add mix for Q4 and full year 2020? Uh, I will find it here momentarily. Uh, it is uh, up uh, in terms of uh, value-added to 70% um, yet the, for the uh, year uh, ended uh, Q4 2020 versus 63% uh, in the prior year. Okay, thanks for your comments. You're welcome. And there are no further questions, Kid up at this time. I will turn the call back over to Rod Hoppenstall for closing remarks. Thank you. To close, I want to thank you for joining our call today and we look forward to updating you with results for the first quarter of 2021 on our next conference call in May. Please stay well and safe. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect.
Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.